Oh, okay. Good morning, Trinity Church. Welcome on this beautiful day. I am here today with Monique Forrest and Paul Fogel. Will you please welcome them? <laughs> and uh, we, my name is Bill Bourne. I'm the worship pastor here. Our lead pastor, Todd Arnett, is enjoying the weekend with his family. Two of his adult kids are up in the Bay Area, so that's where he is. And so he trusted me to bring our fifth core value to us today. And I'm really excited about that. This core value, we're in this series called Who We Are. And what we're looking at are the things that we feel God says are the most important things about what his church should be about. And so we've looked at four of them up to this point. And today we're looking at this core value that says your calling is to influence your world with Jesus. And so what I've asked Monique and Paul to share is how are you engaging this calling? And, um, and so I'm going to start with Monique. Now, Monique, I talked to you. One of the reasons I asked you to do this is because you always, I see in you a love for veterans. And I wanted you to share with uh, this congregation just a little bit about that and um, just kind of talk about that for a little bit. Well, I've been supporting the veterans for 13 years. I started at work because we belonged to a club called the Kiwanis, and they asked me if I wanted to support the veterans, and I said yes. So I've been making cards for 13 years. I make cards for every holiday, and uh, I'm gonna, I made 85 cards for Valentine's Day, finished with my Easter card, 69 cards, and tomorrow I'm gonna start on um, St. Patrick's Day, and I just wanted to say, Thank you for your service all the, to all the veterans. It is a great honor and privilege to support the veterans. I make cards with uh, uh, Where do you hand these cards out? Like where do you oh, go? My, I have a friend that takes me to the veterans hospital and I pass them out and I spend time with them. The last t time I went to the, uh, was for Valentine's Day and I met this one veteran, and he told me he was a preacher. So he prayed for me, and he prayed for my friends. And he gave my friend a business card. He said he wanted me to go to his church to talk to people about what I do. That's awesome. And thank you for sharing with us today what you do. I've, I have a follow-up question. I'm going to let Paul answer that question as well. We'll go ahead and hold it up. There we go. There, is that better? Yeah. The Holy Spirit has given us special gifts. And uh, when I was in uh, Bible school years ago, uh, the emphasis was on evangelism and soul winning. Uh, that wasn't particularly my gift, as I found out. I wasn't very successful at that. And I wound up with a pretty good guilt trip because each week we needed to fill out how many tracts we'd sent out and handed out and how many people we'd led to the Lord. I for, felt sort of like a, a shoe salesman with his quota for sales for the week and I never made it. <laughs> Later, uh, I, with the help of other friends, found out that my gift was probably uh, a gift of helps. And uh, because of that uh, and some teaching here at, at Trinity, it has really freed me up to uh, think about the people in my sphere of influence 
to pray for them and to actually become involved in their lives in a special way. And uh, the glory goes to God, not to us, and he's keeping the records. <laughs> and so that's, that's relieved uh, the feeling of guilt that, uh, that I had for many years, that I wasn't really uh, being fruitful for the Lord. We think of uh, Christ saying in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. You know, if you don't bear fruit, you're going to be cut off. And so I was really concerned that if the only fruit was winning souls for Christ, then I was really uh, falling behind. Later I came to realize that in Galatians 5, there's, there's also the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience. So uh, God has been patient with me, and I'm glad. Thank you for sharing. Thanks. As a, as a follow-up, uh, please share what do you see God doing in your life and, and what work do you see him doing through you as a result? Thank you. I live in a community of people over 55, and a, and a neighbor of mine uh, lost his wife a few years back. She had dementia. I would see him walking to the mailboxes uh, somewhat... Uh, lonely. And so I said to Henry, uh, what do you think about uh, you and uh, me just getting together once a week? We'll read a chapter of, in the book of John, and we can pray together. Now, Henry came from a, uh, a uh, following that is pretty heavy into uh, works and, and uh, following uh, that particular uh, approach to Scripture. But I found in, in, in meeting with Henry and having an opportunity to, to look at Scripture and pray together that we really had a lot more in common than I would have guessed, and uh, we were able to share with each other in our lives. Out of that prayer time, we were praying for another individual in our community uh, who was in prison, and he was in prison because of, a, of an accident uh, that on a motorcycle, and his wife was, was killed. He came to a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ while in prison, and, and I had the opportunity then to start uh, communicating with him by letter, and then later was able to actually visit him in prison, and now that he's back in our community to, be, to use my gift of helps to take him to the VA and other places that he needs to go. So it's a, it's a freedom that we have in Christ to let the Holy Spirit use us with the gifts that we have and don't worry about uh, some of the other aspects and some of the other things that God has in store for other children of His. So I thank God for that. Thank you, Paul. So, Monique, <laughs> I, I think you may have asked the next question because I was going to ask you just to share about maybe a situation where you were praying with a veteran. Is that the one that you were sharing? Where oh, yeah, I gave a card to one veteran. He took my hand, and he prayed for me, and thanked God for what I was doing, and told me to keep up the good work, and I like to share that with people because it was a very special moment in my life, and I keep it close to my heart. That's great. What, what I love is, as Paul was sharing, is what you've just seen is two people using their gift and God using them through, you know, Monique sh sharing her gift of encouragement. Isn't that beautiful? So will you thank uh, Paul and Monique for sharing today?
And you guys can uh, start making your way back. <laughs> so, as, uh, as they're exiting, I, I just wanted to um, share with you what, what I really want to look at. You've seen this example and of just this beautiful, natural way that God uses people to influence their world. And really, that's the question that I want to look at today. Looking at His Scripture, looking at the Word of God, what does God say is the way that we should influence our world with Jesus? And so we're going to go to Jesus about this, and then we're going to spend some time with Paul and see what the Word says. But before we start, what I would love to do is anchor what we're talking about today in God's purpose for Jesus. And so to do that, we're going to look back to Isaiah. And I'm going to read from Isaiah 42. This, this passage introduces Jesus as the suffering servant, my servant. And we're going to pick up it at verse 5. And I'm just going to read it, and I want you to listen at what God says about why he sent Jesus to us. Okay, so just listen to Isaiah 42, beginning with verse 5. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to his people and life to those who walk in it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness I will take hold of your hand, and I will keep you, and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name, I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. So this is what God said is Jesus' purpose. And now we're going to pick up and we're going to meet Jesus at the very beginning of the gospel of Matthew. And so if you would turn with me, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5. And what we're going to hear Jesus say to us is the way that you influence your world with me, with Jesus saying, is to remain useful for my purposes. So the way we influence our world with Jesus is to remain useful for our purposes. I'm sorry, for Jesus' purposes. And we've just heard what his purpose is, didn't we? Okay, so let's pick up here. Um, you... Uh, at Matthew 5, 13. Here's backstory. There are four gospels. They are the story of Jesus. There are four different authors who wrote this story. Two of them were disciples. Two of them just wanted to write the story. So Mark and Luke are writing the story, kind of gathering eyewitness accounts. But they all wrote different order of events, and they, they emphasize different things so we have like this beautiful picture of Jesus 
when we read all four of the Gospels. That's why they're in the Bible. Matthew uh, starts, you know, with the genealogy of Jesus. Hilke took us through that a couple weeks ago. And then he introduces Jesus. And the first thing we see is Jesus' teaching. He's teaching on a mountainside. He's gathered his disciples around him, and he's teaching his disciples. And he starts with the Beatitudes. If you've heard of that before, everyone starts with, blessed are you if you do this, because this is true of you. And it talks about showing mercy and being peacemakers and coming to the Lord with humility. So, so Jesus starts with that, and then boom, he jumps right to the passage we're looking at today. So this, Matthew put this right at the beginning of the story of Jesus. Jesus' words. He says in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And so Jesus begins with saying, you, my disciples, have a purpose. You have a purpose. Salt has a purpose, and if salt doesn't remain useful, if it loses its purpose, then you might as, there's no difference between the grains of sand and the grains of salt. He says, you might as well throw it out and just trample on it. So Jesus is trying to say to his disciples, what I'm teaching you right now is what your purpose is, Okay? So now let's look at what he says next. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And now his application. Here's your purpose. In the same way, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's your purpose. And that sounds like influence to me. And so what Jesus is telling us is your influence is to remain useful for that purpose of shining light. Now here's what amazes me is Matthew already pointed back to Jesus' purpose. It's in Matthew chapter 4, verse 16. He says, Jesus shows up, and the people living in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So he's saying, Jesus is here, the light has come. And what are some of the first words Jesus tells his disciples? You're the light. So I'm going to spend the next three years with you, teaching you everything that it looks like to be the light. And then at the end of that time, right, my purpose is you're the light of the world. I'm going to commission you to go and do it. And he gave them some practice along the way, right? So what's the end of Matthew? Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, 
teaching them, or baptizing them, right? First there's repentance, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and then what? Teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. And you guys, that's how we shine as a light in this dark world. We repent, we become Jesus' disciple, but then the rest of our lives are lived in obedience to what Jesus has taught us of this is what my people look like. That's what it means to shine. And I want to show you that as we keep going. And, and the amazing thing is this is exactly how this was interpreted by all the apostles. And so we're going to end our time seeing how they said we should live out this command of Jesus to be the light. It's not even a command. It's, I mean, it turns into a command. It's a statement first, right? This is what it means to be my follower. You're useful to be a light in the darkness. So be that light. And today we're looking at how. How should we be that light? Okay? So, as we uh, move on, I, I want to think about some of these things that Jesus has said. He says, um, you let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. When you think of good works, as you look at the way that the rest of the apostles interpreted this idea of good works, it always has to do with the fruit of faith. It, it's, it's what comes out of our lives when Jesus changes us and we become his follower. So our good works, this is interesting, our good works are not just meant for us. You know, our obedience is not just meant for you, for our sake. Okay, that's in your notes. Here's the thing. When I know, because I've, I've read, you know, I'm reading the Jesus story, that Jesus wants me to forgive my enemies. He actually takes it a step further and says, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. That's something he's going to teach the disciples, right? When he says that, if I choose to just hate my enemies and I'm not praying for them, something in me just thinks it's my choice. I get to just do what I, if I think uh, this is something I can do or no, I can't do it. But here's the interesting thing that this passage teaches us is your obedience, my obedience, is not just for my sake. And the way I like to think of that is, it's easy to see in the negative, is if I sin, if I sin against my wife, or I sin against my kids, the ripple effect destroys many. And so I want you to think of that pebble being tossed into a pool and, and you see that ripple effect go outward, that's the kind of influence Jesus wants us to have. And he says, your obedience to what I'm about to teach you has that kind of influence. There's a ripple effect. People are going to see your good works. And what are they going to do? They're going to glorify the Father. To me, that means they're going to turn to him. They're going to worship him because they see the beauty of Jesus in us. And so that's what he's teaching. And so it's, 
important for us to remember that our obedience is not just for our sake, but it's for God's purposes. It's for my kids. It's for those people in my world, at work. It's for my neighbors. It's not just for me. Ultimately, who's it for? The glory. We want, people, we want God to be glorified. So it, ultimately, it's for him. And so we're going to, Jesus is going to go and he's going to teach us how you do it. He's going to really raise the bar. He's going to say that what you've seen, the way the Pharisees, you know, their righteousness, it doesn't cut it. He says, unless you are more righteous than them, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. So can you imagine the shock of Jesus basically saying the most religious people you see don't get it? They're out pretty crazy. And then he redefines lust to be adultery. Oh, I guess I commit adultery. He redefines hate to be murder. So Jesus puts the bar really high. And it's not because he doesn't want us to do that, but it's because he's showing us my way, living my way of righteousness. This is what you should look like. Okay? So, Here's the challenge. I want, want to think real quickly just about the two, the illustrations Jesus gives. He gave these illustrations. And so I'm not, I don't want to teach him like this is exactly what Jesus was thinking, but I want to just think about these illustrations, the city on a hill and the light in the house. Just think about them real quick. The city on a hill is a whole bunch of lights if it's dark out. It's a whole bunch of lights that are visible up on a hillside, and if someone's out in the dark in the dangerous area where they don't know what's lurking, they need to be safe, what do they run to? The light. And that's what Jesus says is this, a bunch of lights. And to me, that, that looks, if, if, if I look at that, it looks like a church, right? It looks like a bunch of us who have the light of Christ living in community together, being the safe place for Jesus to send the people he's calling into, into uh, relationship with him. What did Jesus say in the upper room to his disciples? What is the most attractive, brightest, beautiful thing about you to the world? If you're my followers, your love for one another. By this, he says, all people will know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another, he repeats it four times. That's how important it is. And so how do we love each other? Well, it begins with accepting one another with the darkness in our past and the struggle with darkness sometimes in our present. It means I'm committed to you no matter how hard it gets. It means I'm going to provide for you when you go through a hard time. I'm going to sacrifice even what I have to help make sure your needs are met. It means I'm going to walk with you through this, in faithful love and unconditional love. That's what Jesus said is the most bright thing about how Trinity Church and believers, the community of believers, that's how we should look to the world. And that's why when people come into this room, when we come here or we come on this campus, this should be the most bright, beautiful place on earth. And this is the place and your small group should be the same. Whenever you're gathered together, the light should be shining as bright as anywhere. 
And so that's why we want to invite people here. We want the people in your world to see Jesus in us. Okay? Think of your house. Here's the, here's the good news, right? You shine a light in your house that says it's useful because all the people around it can see. Here's the bad news. In my house, all the people around me can see. You guys, I, mean, I don't know what I appear to you up here, but my, par- my kids and my wife see the worst of Bill. They see it, and not everybody gets to see that. Because there's darkness in our life that, that it, we're going to get to this in our next section. It just kind of creeps up and, it, and it, it, it holds us. And luckily, Jesus dealt with that darkness. But my kids are watching. My wife's watching. And then as the ripple goes out from there, right, my neighbors are watching. How do I deal with a disagreement with a neighbor? Do I look like Jesus? The ripple goes out. And so that's why we call our household the relational world. And we don't need to have this testimony of being perfect Jesus people. We need to have a testimony of I'm a forgiven Jesus person and I'm being transformed by Jesus (laughs) Praise God for his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness. And so we have these cards at the doors, and it just helps us to identify who's in your house. Who are the people that your ripple effect, your life is going to affect whether you want it to or not? And so that we call our relational world. I encourage you, get this, write those people down. My kids are on here, my neighbors are on here, and the people that God's just, I think, strategically placed in my life are on this list so I can remember not just to pray for them, but pray for my witness to them. I pray for myself that I might represent Christ accurately and be a light in the darkness to them. Here's a challenge before we move on. Is I like people to see my good works. I want people to see the good stuff I do. And as I was reading this, I thought, yeah, I've had that problem. And yet, if you look at this passage, what Jesus is saying is, do they see you? They see the good works. They see the fruit of your obedience. The things that God's doing in your life is what people see that draws them to give praise to him. And so I just need to remember that if if I start finding that I want people to see me and I'm starting to look down on people that don't look like me and they don't love like me, that what I have is a problem with self-righteousness, not Christ-righteousness. And so guess what Jesus is going to deal with in this Sermon on the Mount? He's going to deal with self-righteousness. He's going to say, if you're bringing your offering because you want people to see it, then you're, no, you're, you're off. He said, you need to be doing that in secret. Don't do good works for people to see you. Your good works should direct the attention to God. And so if he's the one doing them, then he gets the glory, and we just need to make sure we give it to him. Okay? So we influence the world with Jesus 
by being useful for his purposes. Every one of the apostles realized the significance of this, and they, the apostles are the ones who wrote all the letters that come after the book of Acts. They're the leaders in the church that are trying to apply what Jesus did and taught to us. And all of them dealt with this issue of being a light in the darkness, okay? I don't have time to go through all of them. I wish I did, but uh, you guys would get really hungry and, and um, start falling asleep. So um, I just put a slide up here, and I want to encourage you, go to the scriptures and spend some time seeing what the others said. Peter has this amazing verse where he says, you are, to the church, you're God's chosen people, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, you're God's treasured possession. Why? To declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What do you think he talks about next? Sin. He's like, don't let it. it he said, it wages war against your souls. So don't give in to it. And he says, and remember that you want people to see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. He uses this exact thing. Then John opens his first letter, 1 John, and guess what he says? Verse 5. Live in the light as he in the light. He's all, you want to know what my, my book is about, what my letter's about? The whole letter is about how, what that should look like for us to be living in the light of Christ and guess what he deals with right off the bat? 1 John 1.10. We shouldn't live in sin, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So these guys aren't saying be perfect. They're just saying live in the light. And when you live in the light, the sin becomes obvious. Bring it to God and he'll forgive it. James really keys in on this idea of good works, and he says faith leads to faithful living. Faith without works is dead. Your life should reflect that you trust Jesus and that he's changed you, and it should be a growing reflection, right? There's no bar that we finally get to. It's a, it's a constant transformation. Okay, but we're with Paul today. Paul says this a number of places, but I want to just look at what he says in Ephesians 5. Here's what he's going to say. He's gonna, this is basically what all the apostles say. Influence your world with Jesus by living like Jesus in your world. Influence your world with Jesus by living like him in the world. And so Paul you guys, this is amazing. If, if you haven't read Ephesians, he spends the first four chapters just saying this is what it looks like. This is what Jesus did for you. Because he doesn't want to get to the commands of how we should obey until we understand that Jesus did it for us. So he opens up and he says, we've been blessed with Christ in the heavens with every spiritual blessing because God chose us in Christ to be what? holy and blameless in his sight. So what's on Paul's mind? This is what God has done. He's made you holy and righteous. So then the last half that we're going to look at is, how do you do it? How do you live the way that he's made you? 
And he talks about that our faith, this is really important. If you're here today and you've, you would say, I'm, I'm not a follower of Jesus, the beginning of Ephesians talks about how God chose you and then he did it for you. It says through love he adopted you. It says that he forgave your sins through his death on the cross and that you, by believing in him, are made right with him. And he says, you were once dead in sin. We sang it this morning. But now you've been made alive in Christ. So God did all this for you. So now that we're getting to the section, just realize what, what Jesus has done for you. And if you've never entrusted your life to him, then this is a great, once you hear that truth, the scriptures say your first act of obedience is to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. That's the first thing. That's the only thing that God asks sinners to do to be saved. And then we have our whole life to be useful for his purposes. So um, I want to read Ephesians 5, picking up at verse 8. You guys, um, Paul's dealing with sexual immorality. He's talking about impurity, and he's talking about greed. Are those three American sins that we get down pretty good here? Okay, yeah, I would say probably most of us have struggled with or are struggling with those sins. But look what he says. He pauses in the middle of this and says, here's why you shouldn't do them. Verse 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light, these are the good deeds, right? The fruit consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Isn't that what light does? Expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Remember, he's talking to the church here. He says, let the light expose your deeds of darkness. But everything exposed by the light becomes light. It becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. And this is why it said, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. He's the one who did it, right? We just have to wake up. We have to respond in faith to what Jesus has done. I just want to look at one word in this. There's so much to talk about, but one phrase stuck out to me because today we're answering the question, how? How do we live as children of the light? How do we influence our world? And look what Paul puts in there. He says, find out what pleases God. You see that? Find out what pleases God. Here's my problem and your problem where my sin comes from is trying to find out what pleases me. I know what pleases me. I don't have to find it out, right? That's where the stem of our sin is our own selfish pride. It's our self-seeking. We want what we want. And if you think about it, every sin, at least the, the sins in my life that I struggle with, they stem from self-pleasing and so Paul just simply says, find out what pleases God. 
Stop thinking about yourself and what you want. Find out what pleases God. It's the first step. And I, I'm amazed that he's, he doesn't say, please God. He's not heavy-handed here. He's super gentle to new believers just saying, hey, you put your faith in Jesus. Look at what he's done for you. Now you, you need to figure out what pleases him. So here's my question to you. How do we do that? How do you find out what pleases God? In the Bible, right? We don't have to guess. Now, I could go to a friend and I could say, what do you think would please God? But I better go to a friend who's consulting God, <laughs> right? So the Bible is God's story given to what? Transform you and to be the authority in your life. So this is where we find what pleases God. He's let us know. This is what Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what God wants. We need to figure that out. We need to know. Start with knowing what God wants. So I just want to give you a couple practical ways you do that. Is be people of the book. Read it for yourself. Get it on your phone. You, you guys probably have it there. Read the Jesus story. The whole story of the Bible points to him. But if, you, if you're not a big reader, start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Fall in love with Jesus because you will. You will become a worshiper by reading about him. And you'll also realize, oh my word, I'm supposed to look like that. And you start to realize what Jesus' people should look like and what you should look like to the world. So I encourage you to do that. Second is what do we, what's our main, I mean 50% of our service here, time is given to what? The teaching of God's word. And that's one of the things the early church in Acts, that's what they did. They, they devoted themselves to the teaching of God's word. What else do we encourage you to do in the middle of the week? The second part of your notes are home group notes. Right? Work this stuff out with other people. Right? Be a part of a home group and try to figure out with other people, how do you deal with this? You know, um, it's good to be in a group with people who walk with Jesus longer than you. That's the greatest blessing about my home group is I, I, I see people who walk with Jesus through different things. In fact, my wife and I are the youngest people in our group. That's probably not good, right? We should probably have some younger families. But all the people in my group have raised their kids. Do you know how much of a blessing it is to, to just have that resource of people who've tried to do it God's way? to refer to when we're kind of messing up and do, trying to figure out how to do it. So, small group. And, um, and the last thing is, go to, go to camp, go to a conference. Sometimes you just need a jump start. You just have to get yourself to where you're listening to God and you're seeking Him again. And uh, a summer camp is a wonderful thing. We have Forest Home right up the hill. There are others around here. We have Thrive happening in a few weeks. Um, those are ways we can find out what pleases God, and be encouraged. So the last thing that I want to look at is G, uh, Paul moves us forward to verse 15, and he just restates what he's already stated, but I love the way he restates it. He, he puts the urgency in it, right? Look at verse 15. 
Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. It is a dark world. And there are dark forces that are trying to stop you from doing this. He's going to get to that. So he says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Doesn't that sound like find out what pleases God? Understand what God's will is in this situation. And then he says something. I remember in college, I just kind of, I was just like, why did he say that? You know, because he's in this wonderful passage and he had been talking about sin, but now he just says, don't get drunk with wine because it's debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I believe that what Paul is saying is you want to know how to do what pleases God? Live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So he's not going to give us a positive example about drinking alcohol, is he? No, so he gives us a negative reference. But then he says in the same way that a drunk person is under the control of alcohol, that's what your life should look like, under the control of the Holy Spirit. And so you're supposed to live under the influence. How much? Keep getting filled with the Spirit is what he says. You know, trying to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit is like trying to like push your car without ever filling the tank with gas and turning it on, right? It's, it's fruitless. You're, it's too much work. You're going to get discouraged, and you're going to quit. Is there still work when I'm driving a car that has a full tank and that's working? Yeah. I have, to, I have to know where I'm going, and I have to, you know, steer and use my pedals and put it in gear. But isn't it like the amount of work? Is it like night and day? So he says, be filled with the Spirit. And Jesus said, I'm going to give you this helper when I leave you. He'll be with you always. And he says, he's going to help you live for your purpose. So the Holy Spirit is critical as the how. And it's how God lives and does. It's God does the stuff through us that we want him to do. And I want to end with this. When... When I bump up against those things in my life that are darkness, the things that I realize, it's just this is where I sin. If I'm going to sin, this is where it happens. And it usually happens in my house with my kids. It stems from areas in my life that some would call strongholds. These are areas that just you just, ah, you hate it about yourself, and yet you go back to it. And in my life, those things kind of stem from this insecurity and this, this, con- this need for control. And when those things collide, I've lost control and I'm feeling insecure, watch out. It, it just, well, anger wells up in me. I say things I shouldn't say. I'm physically uh, moved in ways I shouldn't move. I'm not gentle. And what I realize in the mo- those moments is what I need is the fruit of the Spirit. Paul referred to the fruit of the Spirit that's what I need, and that's what I don't have in my life when I'm living in sin. And so what I simply do is I pray, and I just ask God to do that in me. God, I cannot love this person the way I should. Will you help me? Help me to love this person. 
Lord, help me to be patient. Help me to be kind and gentle. Give me self-control. Those are the fruit of the Spirit Paul lists in Galatians 5. To me, that's what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit, is to be continually attentive to Him and asking Him to do things that I can't do. And so, Paul says, this is how you shine as a light. You live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So we remain useful for God's purposes to be a light in the darkness by living like Jesus in the world. That's how Paul interprets this. So I want to close with you just thinking about a few things in my life. And uh, I've had a pretty emotional week because I've been thinking about the way that God, the way that people have been a Jesus influence in my life, right? We're, we're saying your calling is to influence your world with Jesus. I'm thinking about who's been faithful to me to influence the world, to influence my world with Jesus. My parents have. I think it's a wonderful testimony to have a testimony of I grew up in a Christian home. My parents taught me and they continue to teach me. They go to this church and they serve here and they're being faithful to God. I had youth leaders who did that in my life. I've had professors in college. I've had friends and mentors. I have colleagues here at Trinity Church. I have my small group. And there are lots of you that you may not know it, but just by the life that you live, I watch you and I see you being faithful to the Lord. And that is a Jesus influence in my life. And so I want to thank you. Do you realize Trinity Church, some of you, I've been here for half of my life. I came to Trinity when I was 24 years old and engaged to my wife. And I've been here and done life here with you, some of you, for all those years, and some of you are newer. You've been a Jesus influence in my life. God created the church to be a city on a hill for each other, as well as people who come in because he's calling and they're saying yes. And so as we close today, our now what is influence the world with Jesus by remaining useful for his purposes and living like him in the world. So Jesus calls. That's what a calling is. It's Jesus calling. Have you responded to that call? Did you say yes to Jesus when he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light? Then if you have, your purpose is to be a light in the darkness for the other people he's calling. He'll do it through you. He'll bring the compassion that is necessary to go to people who are still lost in darkness. And sometimes... Like Monique, he's going to draw you to a different group, just like missionaries, right? Why did God draw so-and-so to Ecuador or wherever? You know, God is going to draw you. His spirit is going to lead you to the people he had died for and wants to call, and is calling. We just need to be faithful. Let him do the work through us. So Trinity Church, let's do this 
together, and more so, God, please do this through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you for sending Jesus, Lord, so that the blind eyes would be opened, so that people who are living in darkness would be brought out of that into your marvelous light. Thank you, God, that your Holy Spirit is given to us as a helper from that day forward to live a life that is a light for Jesus. And so I pray that each one here would, would realize the incredible joy that you have in store for us when we choose to live your way and when we live under the influence of your spirit. And so I pray, God, that this would excel all the more at Trinity Church. It's through you and it's for you and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.